It is good to be back in the ball, but I feel like I've been out way too long. Uh, I missed a couple weeks preaching, and uh, in all seriousness, I was joking about being out at the the uh, the picnic, and you know, I, I know that I was about to get schooled in tennis. It's been about ten years since I played, and I I missed that opportunity. But uh, the, the, everybody was very gracious and helping us get ready to go and, and leave the picnic. And then over the last couple of weeks, uh, especially, I, I, I need to pause just a moment, very earnestly and seriously, give, give thanks. And, and not just to the church as a whole, our deacon leadership, uh, who's filled the gap when I was out, but especially to Nathan, uh, who stepped in and uh, preached, and not only preached, but it was an encouragement to me. And, uh, you know, it's kind of sad that, that he's not here today as, as I get back in the pulpit, but to Matthew and to Victoria, who all held things together uh, while I was out. And I, uh, I appreciate them. We are, we are at the last Sunday in our series on the church's response to the resurrection. And I want to start just by giving a short one-question quiz this is a special Sunday on the church's calendar. Does anybody know what that Sunday is? Pentecost. Pentecost, right. It's Pentecost Sunday. Today, we are seven weeks out from Easter, and it was on that 50th day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, which in reality, the last four messages of this series, the response to the resurrection, is really based off of the church's response more so than the individual response. The first three weeks, we looked at really Matthew chapter 28 as our launching point to see how, how the disciples and the individuals responded to the news that Jesus truly had come up out of the grave and he wasn't there anymore. And we, we first noticed, and I, I was doing the math earlier and realized that out of the six messages on the responses of the resurrection so far, I've only gotten to preach three of them. Uh, Nathan preached the, the initial one while I was at the photography conference. And then, of course, with mom's death, and we had Palmer preach, uh, one of them, uh, right before that. And so I want to walk through those real quick. How is it that the church responded? How did God's people respond when they realized that Jesus had come up out of the grave? Of course, initially, there was just a kind of a shock and awe. It was, oh my gosh, what just happened? It, he really did. And, and Nathan preached that first message and talked about how the very fact that Jesus rose again requires a response. Last week at, at mom's funeral, I preached on that very truth that the fact that Jesus rose sets Christianity apart from any other religion, from, from any other form of worship. There's, there's all kinds of religions out there, and there's a lot of questions about which religion or, or, or which faith is the right place to put our faith? Who should we trust in? Well, there's only one who not only rose from the grave, but before he did, he said he was going to come up out of the grave after he was in it on the third day. And besides that, hundreds of years before, it was predicted by the prophets that he was going to come up out of the grave. So the resurrection sets Jesus apart, Christianity apart from any other form of faith or religion. And it requires a response. Just the very fact that Jesus died very visibly, very publicly, and rose very publicly 
determine it sets us sets Christianity apart and demands that we respond to that truth. And then we, how did they respond? They responded in worship initially. They responded by going and telling their friends, uh, sharing the good news that Jesus arose again. Then the church responded by, by gathering together in fellowship and, and, and loving on each other. They, they gathered together and they spent time together. And then they, they, they gathered together in discipleship. They started studying. They're going, wait a minute. If he's the God that fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, we need to learn about this God. And so they got together and they, they studied the disciples' teaching on what Jesus had taught and they studied the Old Testament. And so the church grew in their understanding of, of their faith. And then last week, Nathan touched on the fact that the church grew in, in ministry to one another. They took care of each other. He used Barnabas as that great example of, of how the church made sacrifices to care for one another like a family does. They would set aside their own needs to take care of their brothers and sisters who were struggling. And, and those are all various ways that the, the church responded to this good news that Jesus truly was the Christ, that he had died and he had risen again. And I want to look at the seventh, the last in our series today of how the church responded. And the, the foundation of this is really going to come out of Acts chapter 13. So we're looking ahead a little bit. We had looked at the, the very beginning of the church in Acts 2 and Acts 4 uh, for, for those initial responses of the church. Now we're looking at Acts 13. Why is that? Because it, not until Acts 13 that the church begins to fulfill a command a directive that Jesus gave the church in Acts chapter 1. That is that the church, God's people, were going to be faithful to share the good news, he says in Acts 1.8, in Jerusalem, right here in your town, in Judea, right here in your area, in, in uh, Samaria, the expanded area, and into the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus, in Acts 1.8, his last words before he ascended to heaven, he gave the directive that is our mission call. That we are not called just to, to build our kingdom, to share the gospel right here around us and get as many people baptized and be a part of First Baptist Chicago as we can. That's not the extent of our calling. Our, the extent of our calling extends to the uttermost parts of the world. God truly has given the church a call to missions. But the church didn't get there right away. They drugged their feet. And in fact, the truth is, if the truth be told, I think that if there was not persecution brought upon the church, the church would have never gone away from Jerusalem and Judea. Maybe eventually it would have leaked out. But what happened was once persecution came upon the church, God used that persecution to drive those who, who had come to faith in Christ out of Jerusalem and out of Judea. And they moved. They moved up to Antioch and they moved out to the islands and they moved various places because persecution was put upon them. And so eventually God used persecution and then he used the persecutor, Paul, to deliver, to, 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 to bring about what he had called the church to do in the first place. Eventually, we get the best picture of that coming to fulfillment in Acts chapter 13. So that's our foundational text, and we're going to walk back just a little bit. But read with me. Acts 13, verses 1 through 5. The Scripture says, Now in the church at Antioch, 
There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tectarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. Now I'm going to stop there because this begins to describe to us that first major missionary journey. And let me give you just a, a quick history of what's led up to this. The, the church had been persecuted, and, and because of the persecution, the church had scattered. And there was a group of believers that had settled up at Antioch, further north, out, out north of Samaria. And that those believers began to share the gospel, and they began to grow. And it was a mixed group. There were both Jews and Gentiles as a part of this church. And Barnabas was asked to travel from Jerusalem up to uh, Antioch to really become the pastor there and to start organizing the church and training the church and making disciples in the church. So you see, Barnabas there is still a key leader in, in the movement of the early church. And so he goes up there and he sees the extent of uh, the need. And he's like, man, I can't do this on my own. So when you look back in Acts 11, Barnabas goes and finds Saul. He goes and finds Paul who is now at Tarsus and has spent several years growing in his faith, studying and developing in his relationship with the Lord. Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch. And he says, hey, come help me pastor this church. Help, help me lead this church. And so Barnabas and Saul, or Paul uh, at this point, he's still called Saul on and off. And so you'll hear me do that. Uh, at this point, they're pastoring the church at Antioch. And the church begins to continue to grow. Acts 12 tells us they were first called Christians at, at Antioch, the followers of Christ. It, they're making an impact. They're being made fun of. They're being called little Christ. And so they, the, the church is developing and growing. And now they're in the midst of this worship service that Luke writes about. And Luke says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. So point number one that I want you to see out of this text is their mission came out of their worship. Their mission was not driven by some checklist. This is what we're supposed to do as a church. Their mission came out of their worship because they had come to the Lord and they surrendered their heart and they were praying and they were fasting and they were worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They heard the call that they were to go. And I wonder if somehow somebody Wrote, spoke up and said, you remember Jesus said this already. He told, this was, this is what he told us to do before he died. But it's some, somehow, some way, as they were worshiping the Lord in the midst of their worship, steadfastly focused on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they finally got it. See, up until that point, the church was, 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 they, they were sharing the gospel. Some of the leaders are sharing the gospel. You had Philip sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. You had God having to, to force Peter out of his comfort zone to even go talk to the, uh, the Samaritans. And, and you just see, you, you see this, uh, 
the struggle that the church was having, getting, getting out of their hometown, getting out of their comfort zone, getting out of where, where they were uh, uh, at home to take the gospel outside of their walls. But eventually, you come to this place where you you have the church at Antioch that is no longer just a Jewish congregation. It's not just meeting in a synagogue, but it's a mixture. You you have Jews and Gentiles that are gathered. They're, They're worshiping the Lord together. And at this point, as they focus on the Lord, they humble themselves. The Lord calls them out. And he says, send out to me. Send out for me. Paul and Barnabas. If I was to give you a quote that summarizes this, it would be this. We must be steadfastly focused upon Christ and his kingdom, not on our legacy or our kingdom. I grew up, grew up, so to speak, in the late 80s and 90s in ministry. That's, that's when I went to seminary. I went to Howard Payne in 1985 and 85 to 89, and we're studying the, the church growth books, and, and we're learning about church growth and how to, how to grow churches in America. And the focus seemed to me to be a focus on growing your kingdom in a very real way. Now, that may be a harsh way to put it, but I'm afraid far too often we in the church in, in, this, in America, we measure success not by how many we've sent out, not by how many have, have come to faith through those who, whom, whom we have discipled, but we measure success of a pastor or a staff or a local church by our Sunday morning attendance numbers and our budget and and. and how many people we can pack in a building. Or even beyond that, I'm afraid. It's come to a point, and I want to be cautious with this because God uses different people in different ways. And I don't know the heart of every pastor. But but I am concerned when I see a, a greater focus on instead of planting new churches out there, we just have more campuses so that I can be on more screens. And, and maybe it's just because God hasn't created me that way. And God has a purpose and a plan for other guys to, to, to fulfill his ministry and to, to fulfill his kingdom purposes that way. But ultimately, the heart of the matter has to be that our focus is not on our kingdom. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, Lord, build our kingdoms. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we humble ourselves before the throne of Almighty God, we're not going to be concerned about how big we are. In fact, we're going to understand then how small we are and how big he is. And and he becomes the focus then. And so the, the church, their mission was rooted in their worship. They understood their place before the king of kings, the Lord of lords, their place was a place of, to be faithful and obedient, not to develop and implement their plan. So the church, their mission came out of their worship. And I want you to see what happened because of that. Their mission then was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who spoke. The Holy Spirit is the one who led. The Holy Spirit is the one who fulfilled the calling that he had placed on their lives. Over the last 
17 years that I've served here as pastor, we've, we've seen some, somewhat of an ebb and flow in the, in the mission, that, especially the international focus of our, our, our desire to serve the Lord around the world. But I'm going to tell you the story very quickly, if you're not familiar with it. In, in 2008, and after the, the Lord had been at work here and the church began to really get back on its feet after some things that had gone through in, in 04 and 05, uh, the Lord put on our heart, mine and, and Eric Costanza and Joe Wolf and some of the other uh, men of the church and leaders that, that God was calling us uh, to reach out beyond ourselves. And, and so we began to pray, where might you have us go? And, and Joe uh, and Linnell Wolf, if you know them, had both served in Peru as a journeyman missionary while they were in college. And so we just felt like that may be the direction the Lord's leading us. So we took a team of a, a few women and a few guys, and we went to Peru. And the goal was not to take a mission trip. The goal was to go meet with missionaries and seek the Lord's direction. Because my belief was God wasn't calling us to check a box so that we could say, oh, we're doing foreign missions. My belief was that God was calling and we needed to follow his call. And that was the belief of the team. So we went down there and we met with various missionaries and, and it was very evident that, that there were a couple areas that our hearts are really drawn to. Interestingly, my heart, when I'm thinking about foreign missions, I want to go out in the woods, right? Well, that's what I do when I go on vacation. I go out in the woods. I want to go somewhere away. Both of the, the missionary couples that we felt the Lord had connected us to were in Lima, the largest city in Peru. Like, I don't want to go to the big city. And one of those was at least on the outskirts of Peru. And they, they served in what were called the, the marginally urban poor areas on the outskirts of Lima. And then there were, another team served in the inner city. So we get back and we begin to make plans and, and try to push forward and say, okay, Lord, where are you leading us? It's clear that you're leading us to one of these two. So by now, Paul Michael has arrived on scene as associate pastor. And I said, reach out to the missionaries on the, out on the margins of Lima. So he reaches out to the missionaries on the margins of Lima. And that missionary couple said, man, it would be great to have y'all come down here and serve with us. We have a lot of teams coming over the next year. Let's pray about it and see where we can plug you in. And I said, Man, if they got a whole bunch of people coming, let's call the other couple. So he called Quentin and Gina Roberts, which many of you have gotten to meet over the years. And Quentin and Gina said, oh my gosh, we would love to have y'all come. Nobody will come to the inner city and serve with us. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go to the inner city either. But if that's where we're needed and that's where you're calling, that's where we're going to go. So the next nine years, eight years, we took regular trips to the inner city of Lima, Peru with small groups of five to seven people and saw God do things that I don't have time to, to explain here. Do things that cannot be explained in human terms. Over that time period, as Quentin and Gina continued to serve their time in inner city Lima, they had had one group that had been willing to come down there and do some street evangelism with them. But they had a vision for getting, in, getting into and getting plugged into systems within the inner city. There were quintas that are like slums that, are, that have slum lords over them that they wanted to get into. There was food kitchens that they wanted to get into and share the gospel in. There were prisons they wanted to get into and share the gospel in. When they kind of finished their ministry there about 2014, 2015, they came back and they spoke at our church and they talked about how at that time there were 12 of those systems in the inner city that they were able to penetrate, that they were able to get into and share the gospel with. And by then there were some other churches that were serving with them, but 10 of those 12 systems, the doors were opened because of very small teams that were 
sent from this church. That's not something that we could plan. It's not something that we could do. And as I said, I could tell you stories over and over and over again. Those are things that only God can do when he leads and when he guides. Missions is not a box that we need to check in our life. Missions should be driven by our relationship with the king of kings. And when we serve outside of the, the, this city, when we serve outside of the, the walls of our initial influence, God's call and God will do things that you can't explain in human terms if you will allow him to lead. And so their mission was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and because of that, the Holy Spirit led them and directed them in miraculous ways that you'll see in Acts 16 and, and Acts 17 and even in Acts 13 and 14 on that first missionary journey in the second. The third point, the Antioch church was ascending church. I want you to pause here for just a moment and think about this. Last summer, I, I went through a struggle because somebody who I had seen grow up in the ministry that I, I, I had become a friend and a companion and, and was a pastor and a friend to many of you, we had to give him up. And Kevin's not the first one that we sent off. But one of the toughest for me because he'd been with me so long. He'd been with me longer than almost anybody else. He and Zach... Uh, had, begin, had become companions in ministry over time. And both of them came here early, early in ministry. Kevin was really his first place to serve. And he came here as an intern. And sometimes it hurts to send, doesn't it? But I want you to notice what the church at Antioch did. Who did they send off? They didn't send Simeon of Niger. They didn't send off Lucius to Cyrene. They didn't send off Manaean. They sent Paul and Barnabas. They sent their pastors off. They sent their best. When the Holy Spirit spoke, God called. They laid hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them out into the unknown. Not knowing if they'd come back alive, but trusting the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit could do with their lives. Now, when they sent off Saul, uh, certainly he almost didn't come back. He was stoned and Lystra and left for dead on that very first missionary journey. But the church didn't have that in mind. What the church had in mind is we're, it, it's not about our kingdom, it's about his kingdom. The Holy Spirit has called. We have to respond. And he's told us to send Paul and Barnabas. And so that's exactly what they did. We must be willing to be ascending church if we're going to fulfill God's kingdom purposes. We've got to be willing. I know that uh, I've had some discussions recently. May 1st Baptist uh, got their new pastor today. Uh, they are excited for him. I've been praying for him. But there's folks in May that still consider themselves ascending church because they sent me up here to the big city. <laughs> and we have a great relationship. And, and, and I love them and they love me. That was my first pastorate. I was there 13 and a half years. And God called me away. And it was hard. But May understood that they're a part of God's kingdom. And, and ultimately, 
If we're going to fulfill the, the, the calling of God upon our lives and upon our church, we're going to have to be willing to send. And sometimes that means sin with support, financial support. Sometimes that means sin with prayer support. Sometimes that means sin in all kinds of ways. This, just this week, I'm watching uh, on Facebook where uh, Greg Balog spent his first week as the youth pastor leading a group of kids at camp. Now, those of you that knew Greg 10 years ago, that is a scary, scary thought, right? But we've seen God do a work in Greg, and we've sent Greg out. We prayed for he and Bianca time and time and time again, and now God is using him to touch lives. In fact, the, the craziest thing, and, and I'm glad he's young and has the energy because he just finished a week at, at camp with the high schoolers. He gets... Saturday and Sunday to rest, and then he takes another group, a group of junior high kids, next week. So if you know Greg, continue to pray for Greg. But what I want you to hear is what we, we see God doing as a part of this church body. And time and time and time again, God has called us to send our very best out for his kingdom. The temptation certainly would be to, to develop an organization to grow a kingdom. But this world is not about us, it's about him. That's really the heart of what missions is all about. Missions is being willing to send your resources, financial resources, prayer, your human resources around the world to touch lives that may never be touched with the gospel any other way for the glory of God's kingdom and not for yourself. Third, or fourth, I'm sorry, the Antioch church was a training church. I want you to notice the last thing that you see at the end of verse five, because this is where he's first mentioned. When they had traveled the whole island as far as, as this is when he's first mentioned in the mission uh, passage. They came across, oh, I'm sorry, verse 5. Uh, Arriving at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. Who's John? Well, he had been mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, back up in verse 24. In fact, the last verse of chapter 12 that Paul and Barnabas, when they had taken a trip up to Jerusalem to carry a relief offering, they had taken a guy named John Mark with them. Well, John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. John Mark was a, a young man whom they were training to be a missionary. And so what you see is, is Paul and Barnabas, when they go on this little journey to deliver a, a relief offering back to the church of Jerusalem, they took him with them. When they went to, uh, when they're going out on the first missionary journey, they take John Mark with them. And so the church at Antioch and Paul and Barnabas intentionally took alongside them an intern and said, go with me so you can learn. Now, it would have been easier at times to leave the intern at home. How many of you all have ever spent more time trying to teach somebody else to do a job than it would take you to do it? Yeah, I see a lot of hands going up out there. Sometimes it's a lot easier for you just to do it. But if you just do it, and maybe you would do a better job than the one that you're training, but if you just do it, that other person never has the opportunity to develop and grow. 
And you will only from that point forward fulfill the amount of ministry that you can do in your own strength. But if you take that one alongside you and you invest in them and you give them opportunities to grow, then they, they can grow. And think about what God has done here, just here at First Baptist Watauga. One of the, the, the first youth minister that was here was a part-time youth minister when I came as pastor. He's now pastoring a church bigger than anything that I'll ever pastor. Eric Costanzo is doing an incredible job. He's writing articles for U.S. News, religious articles. He's, he's, uh, he's written books. God's using him in a miraculous way, not because of me, but because this church gave him an opportunity to continue to grow and develop into the man that God had called him to be. The church at Antioch was intentional in doing that. Paul and Barnabas were intentional in doing that. Now, does that mean that the interns aren't ever going to make a mess? No. Sometimes they make a mess that takes a while to get cleaned up. You, you see what happens with John Mark. He makes it about a quarter of the way through the missionary journey, and then he bails out, comes back home. When he comes back home, uh, Paul and Barnabas end up doing the rest of the trip by themselves. That's where Paul almost gets killed. I don't know what it is. And then they got ready to go on the second trip, and Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark again. Paul said, uh-uh. He quit on me once. I ain't taking him again. Barnabas took John Mark with him and continued to train him. Did Paul give up on interns? Nope. Paul took Timothy. So Paul goes and gets another young man to take with him and train him. And what ended up happening out of Barnabas's, I mean, out of John Mark's failure, instead of completely giving up on the idea of raising up young men, now they're raising up two young men. Barnabas takes John Mark with him. He goes back to the islands and then to North Africa spreading the gospel. Paul takes Timothy with him. He goes back through Asia and then eventually meets up with Luke at Troas and ends up over in Macedonia where we have the Philippian church launch and the Thessalonian church launch and the Corinthian church launch. And all of that ministry, Paul's doing alongside Timothy, who he's taken with him. And so I want you to understand that, yes, as, as they intentionally chose to raise up young leaders, we must never ever stop giving young men and young women the opportunity to grow and to develop, even though they may make some mistakes. There's one pastor that, that, that is serving down in South Texas that came out of this church. It, that I remember one Sunday, he showed up wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops on stage to sing in the praise team. I want to tell you, some of the deacons were fit to be tied. <laughs> Pastor, don't ever let him do that again. Well, I didn't let him do it in the first place. But, but that young man's it's Josh Robinson. He went on to, to leave here and to serve as a youth minister and now serve as pastor at First Baptist Church in Sinton, Texas. Yes. And Josh would tell you, man, that wasn't very smart. But he, he was a pizza delivery guy. And he had to, as soon as he got out of church, he had to go start delivering pizzas. And it was hot and the air conditioner in his car wasn't working. So he didn't want to dress up, but he learned from it. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, is we'll do dumb things. If First Baptist Church May had not given me the opportunity and forgiven me of some really stupid mistakes, I wouldn't be here today. We have to be willing to train up young leaders, take them along with us. Deacons, when we have a new deacon come along, taking them to the hospital with you, taking them to make visits with you. It's, it's in those ministry opportunities that we'll see the kingdom expand and multiply. Your, our greatest impact in serving the Lord is not going to be in who 
we can personally reach by ourselves. It's going to be in that principle of multiplication when we raise up young men and women and send them out. Fifth, I want you to see this. The whole church was involved in one way or another. The whole church was worshiping. The whole church heard the call. The whole church didn't go out. They only sent three guys, right? Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. But that doesn't mean that the entire, entire church was not connected to the mission that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were on. They were all praying. They were all fasting. Everyone sacrificed in one way or another. And the greatest sacrifice, and I've already alluded to this, was they gave up their beloved pastors. Oftentimes, that's the greatest sacrifice that a church could make. That's what they did. They gave up Paul and Barnabas to go out and to fulfill a mission that they knew was bigger than them. And then lastly, I want us to return to Jesus' command. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. The, this, this text will be up on the screen because this is the initial command of Christ and the model by which I think our mission focus should be structured. Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven. In fact, verse 9, after he said these words, Scripture says he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay? So I want you to get that picture. He's already had his last words on the cross. He had his last words before the cross, John 14 through, through 16, which is a beautiful passage. He had his last prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. All of those bear heavy weight. When Jesus intentionally knew that these were the last words he was going to leave his disciples. Now Jesus has been resurrected. He's walked around on earth for almost 50 days, or 40 days at this point with his disciples. And he's standing there and he's going to tell them they're the last things they need to hear. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So his first command was to wait here for the Holy Spirit to come. Okay? When the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, I've got a job for you. But until then, wait for the Spirit. Folks, as we seek God's direction for where we go next in our mission efforts, the first thing that we need to be doing is worshiping Him and waiting on the Spirit, trusting God to lead us, not going off on our own so that, so that we'll simply go where He calls. So when they came together, they asked Him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? The disciples are still struggling with that idea that the Messiah, when He came and He rose again, was going to implement the, the kingdom at that point. And Jesus says, no, essentially. In fact, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells them, when the Holy Spirit comes, and he empowers you to prepare you to fulfill your calling. Your calling is going to entail, you're my witnesses here at home. You're my witnesses to your neighbors. You're my witnesses outside of that to the larger nation. And you're to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I believe that that is a picture that God desires 
every single one of his local congregation somehow to have that vision to fulfill. I believe that First Baptist Church Wataga is doing a, a tremendous job in some of these areas, but not in some of the others. Now, two things here that I want you to see. First of all, how long are we supposed to be involved in fulfilling this mission command until he comes back? Very simple. Until he returns, we're to be about going. Second, we must give. We have an opportunity because the Lord has blessed us in this nation. And we're going to be looking at Amos uh, in, in a few weeks. In four weeks, we're going to start a series on Amos. And one of the problems Amos had, the Lord had, with the rich, those who he had given wealth to, was they were unwilling to use it for God's kingdom purposes. We have been blessed in the United States of America and are wealthy compared to other nations. And because of that, the church is here. We as God's people have, have a obligation to fund mission work around the world. And we as a church do that on a regular basis. 10% of every offering, that come, every undesignated offering comes in, we funnel to missions. 10% off the top and then more on top of that when people give designated a missions offering because we believe God's called us to be a church that gives to missions. Let me move quickly, but finally, we must be willing to go. We've got to be willing to go first to our neighbors. How do we do that? How do we go to our neighbors to, to, to share the good news of Jesus with them? We do it through Vacation Bible School. We invite children and families to, to be a part of, of, of something where they can learn about Jesus. We go to our neighbors as we reach out through the back-to-school rally. Every year for 15 years now, First Baptist Church Watauga is connected to the schools and serves faithfully to reach every one of the schools, three elementary schools and a middle school here in Watauga with the good news of Jesus by just simply sharing through the back-to-school rally. We have the Sharing Christmas, which is a big event in the, in the fall, uh, Christmas time, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, where we seek to, to go into homes and share the gospel and to deliver the word of God. Those are some of the big things we do, but we as a church are obligated every week to seek to go to our neighbors and to carry the gospel. That's the first, our Jerusalem. What about our Judea? If, that's, if you equate the larger area with our state, We've seen it, it, it at, at this church. We've seen the church involved in, in hurricane relief in Houston through world changers. We've been involved in prison ministry that now is starting to open back up, especially our men that have been involved in the Bill Glass prison ministry. It's not that we have stopped serving in the prisons and stopped having mission influence in the prison. We sent 750 of those word for you todays, those devotionals into prisons in the state of Texas every quarter. We get requests from prisoners when they get moved from one of the prisons that gets a shipment. We get requests that come into the office, hey, that word for you today has made such a difference in my life. Would you mind mailing it to me at my new prison unit where I am now? So every week, Julie, or every quarter, Julie has a list of prisoners that she takes those and she mails those to where they're at now because they're no longer at one of the two units that received the bulk shipping. God has called us to reach our state. Certainly, there's always more opportunities, but our job is not to say, where can we go? Our job is to come to the Lord and say, Lord, we want to go where you've called us. We are to be a family on mission, which has been the motto of the church for the last 17 years because God's called us to be a family who loves and serves one another like like we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Palmer's talked about and Nathan's talked about, but we're to be a family on mission. We're to serve in our nation. 
over the years, over the last 17 years, and this, the First Baptist Watauga went to a lot of other places before I came, but I can speak to the last 17 years. We've done mission work in Louisiana, New Mexico, Colorado, Arkansas, Tennessee, and South Dakota. And as, as we finish getting through this COVID time, we need to be asking the Lord, Lord, where would you have us serve? Where can you use us to touch our nation again? And then finally, I mentioned Peru earlier, but it's not, Peru was not the extent of where the Lord sent us. My daughter was sent by this church on two occasions, one for two weeks in Japan, one time for six weeks in Amman, Jordan, where we sent three missionaries. We've had young men and women that have gone to, and, and older adults serve in South Africa, in Greece, in India, in Peru, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Those doors have been closed the last couple of years. But just this week, as I was preparing to preach this message, on Tuesday, I got an email message from our Compassion representative saying that the doors have been opened to one of the Compassion Centers. They're back to fully functioning. Praise God. Maybe the doors are opening now where we can get back. I don't think that it's accident again that the week that the Lord has brought me to this place to preach on this subject is when I get that message that the doors are reopening. Kevin and I have a vision. When Kevin went to Stockdale, he said he believed God was calling that church to open their eyes to those churches in Managua, Nicaragua. We, we support two compassion centers that are a great discipleship opportunities in the city of Managua. It, NI-0234 and NI-0109. Those are the, the, the numbers of those two centers. Just a couple weeks ago, I got an email from our representative that was thanking us because our church had been holding a gift until the time that it could be used again. From Remember when, when we say uh, somebody fills out a connection card, we make a donation on their behalf? We'd been collecting those because we couldn't send them uh, to Nicaragua through this mess going on with COVID. And, and be between that and other gifts that some of you have given directed to Nicaragua, we were able to send over $1,000 to both of those centers. And we got a, a wonderful expression of thanksgiving for our church's sacrifice to send to those. But we don't want to just send money there. Some of you are supporting children and families there. I believe God's called us as the doors open to connect with those pastors and see what we can do as a church to help further the gospel ministry in Managua through those compassion centers. My, our vision is that, that Kevin and I and a layperson from, from each of our churches could, could travel together and go down there and meet those pastors. Those doors have been closed, but my prayer is that those doors are opening again as we get through the pandemic. Church, God has called us, just as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, to be missionaries in our, our hometown, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. And oftentimes I hear people say something like this. I want to draw it to a close. I know that I've gone over time, but I, I didn't get to preach the last two weeks. So come on, just give me a little bit of grace, okay? I understand that. God has called us to go. And he, Jesus did not tell the disciples, I'm going to let you pick. He didn't tell them, you get to pick local, you get to pick national, you get to pick international, you, you get to pick. I believe there's a reason for that because when a church is solely focused on reaching people in their community, and I've heard this, and every once in a while I'll hear something like this, well, why are we sending money around the world when there's so many need in our area? Here's, here's one of the most important answers for that. 
There's always going to be need here. The poor are always going to be with us. If all we do is focus on our little area and never lift our eyes, we'll never grow. We'll never see what God has for us out there. That's just part of the answer. The, the, the most important part of the answer is Scripture demands it. Jesus says, you're to be my witnesses locally, in your area, in your nation, and outside. We've got to lift our eyes to the horizons. When, a, when churches, I have never seen a church that was so involved in missions that it was hurting itself. I've never seen a church that so was adamant about serving God and being obedient to fulfill the mission calling that he'd put on that church, die. It's usually just opposite. It's when we turn inside and we say, we've got to, we, we've got to grow our little ministry. We've got to take care of our stuff. And when we, when we turn inside, that's when we quit being faithful and the Lord removes his presence. God has called us to be a family on mission. It begins in our worship. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. In that call, it's going to be tough. He's calling us to train and to sin, but he's also calling us to go. And if we're going to be obedient and be the church that God's called us to be, every single person here has to find your place. I have to find my place of where he's going to plug me into that overall mission of the church. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.